0: Hey everybody, this is Ryan Mallory with Swing Trading the Stock Market and today's episode, we're going to talk about the problem of cutting your winners short, letting your losers run wild. Now you've heard me talk a lot about in the past about the key to trading outside of, of course, managing risk, which I preach on all the time, is to let your winners run wild and cut your losers short. You Don't let your losers run wild, but you let your winners run wild. You let your winners maximize their profits, but you take losses quickly. But oftentimes what traders will find themselves in the in the situation of is letting their losers just completely demolish their portfolio. Sure, they have they have some winning trades. They have some really good trades. But they also have these losing trades that just completely overshadow any kind of good thing that they are doing in their portfolio. They might have had a trade that made them 20 or 30% at one point or another one that made them 15 and 18%, but they got this losing trade out there that or a couple of losing trades that they're down 70 or 80% on because they never took a loss when it was like at 5%. So today's email comes from a guy, we're gonna call him Duke for the good Florida redneck name. So I don't give out his identity. Duke writes, Hey Ryan, I was listening to last night's podcast on your episode about stop loss strategy and my trading experience. I don't ride winners long enough, but when I lose and the stocks turn against me, it is always an avalanche because the stocks seem to always go down much faster than they go up, usually some bad news, earnings, or market implosion. So I'm wondering, how do you navigate these huge drawdowns with stop losses because the trend is is they happen overnight and you get opening prices that might be down 15 to 20%? Under that scenario, which I find myself in many times, I end up staying in the stock and not wanting to take the 20% loss, which could balloon further down. Thank you for your insight best. Duke. Okay. There's a lot to unpack here because I think Duke casually mentions some categories of losses that he's experiencing. He talks about bad news, earnings, market implosion. Those are three huge sources of market losses. And really they, they pretty much cover most of the problems that traders will have when it comes to navigating the stock market profitably. And there's the old saying about the stock market. It takes the elevator down the stairs up. I actually feel like it's been kind of the opposite this year. I feel like that when you do get a sell-off, it's been the staircase down, the elevator up, because some of these runs that we've seen over the past year have been just incredible, at least off of the October lows. But historically, the market tends to have these panic moments that are much greater than anything you see to the upside. That's why they say the market takes the stairs up, the elevator down. Some people will say the escalator down, but the escalator doesn't really illustrate the gravity of what the market can do when things start to really unravel. But we got to get to the point in our trading where we're not letting the winners destroy us. We have a bad year or a year where our profits are not where they need to be. We can't let it be because we let winners run hard against us. It just needs to be because the strategy didn't work that specific year. And yeah, there's going to be times where your strategy doesn't work as well as you'd want it to. And that's okay. That's going to happen in different years. Every year, it's different. You're going to have different returns and you don't get the same returns every year, but you don't want your losses or the results that you get from one year to the next to be defined by a handful of losing trades that took you out with 30 or 40 or 50% losses or more. We can't afford to let that happen as traders if we want to make it in the stock market. So again, he talks about usually some bad news, earnings, market implosion. Let's tackle all of those one by one. First off, Usually he has losses because of bad news. My first question would be, what are the quality of stocks that you're trading? Are you trading stocks that have a history of hatred towards them in the stock market? Do you, are you trading stocks with a history of bad news? There's some stocks that I just won't trade, like FSLY. That stock has had a lot of bad news in the past, at times where it can just really come out of left field and burn you. That's a stock that I'm gonna avoid. Boeing is another one that I avoid. A lot of people like to trade Boeing, and that's great. I'm telling you every time I trade Boeing, bad news happens. So I don't trade Boeing, especially a few years back when they had some really bad news that was coming out about their planes. Every time I was in one of those trades, some news would hit and I would take a a bigger than expected loss on the trade. It wasn't a bad one in terms of like 20 or 30%, but I would get stopped out typically. And that kind of unpredictability about a stock veered me away from it. You take some of these Chinese stocks like BABA and BIDU. I've avoided those a lot because some of the Chinese stocks have become very toxic of late, and I don't want anything to do with them. I don't want to wake up and they're down you know, 10 15%. Some of your small cap biotechs, even a lot of your large cap biotechs, I want nothing to do with because of the potential for an FDA announcement to come out. I don't want to have to track all the FDA decisions. I want to trade based off a of technical analysis. I don't feel that biotech stocks really allow me to do that with confidence because there's always these news events that can just completely crush or completely make the company depending on how the FDA which side of the the ruling that the FDA comes down on on some research that they're doing or some kind of new product they're getting ready to launch. You take regional banks right now. I've traded regional banks plenty of times in the past. Plenty. And a lot of times I preferred them over the large banks because there was a little bit more volatility, but when you start talking about bank failures and you start seeing some of these bank stocks go up in flames, heck no. I'll stay away from those forever if I have to. But I'm not going to trade them because for the very reason, I don't want to wake up and see my investment down 30%. You take something like Silicon Valley Bank. I know that there were some people that were trying to buy the dip on Silicon Valley Bank when it was really starting to crash. They were catching a falling knife, something you definitely don't want to do. Another way to wake up to some really bad losses is when you're trying to time the bottom of a stock rather than letting the stock form its bottom base and then break out. Better to do it that way than to just see the stock drop and saying, I'm going to buy right here. Having no idea whether or not that stock is actually starting to form a bottoming process with a placement that you can put for a stop loss that makes sense if you can't do that you can't you can't try to catch a falling knife but yet people were doing that with Silicon Valley Bank and I know of one person did it and then he lost his entire investment because the bank went belly up those kinds of trades not necessarily ones that you know you lose everything on but the trades where you're seeing a stock go from like Point A of $100 down to $15 or $10 or $5, they're very tempting because you think to yourself, man, if I just get a little bit of a bounce back, I am going to make so much money on this trade. I'm going to be able to make so much more off of that trade because it came right back to the upside. It's almost like this like hero mentality that a lot of times that we try to trade with, we think to ourselves, man, I can really be a hero if I get into this stock here as it's dropping. Nobody else wants to touch it right now. Everybody's selling it. I'm going to buy it. And there's this saying that everybody attributes to Warren Buffett. He says that, you know, I'm fearful when others are greedy and I'm greedy when others are fearful. And so they equate it to something like the regional banks that are completely imploding. Well, the difference between you, me, and Warren Buffett, you and me, we don't have the billions of dollars at our disposal to be able to say, hey, if I'm wrong about this trade, I still got plenty of other billions that I can fall back on if I'm wrong on. We have to trade like every trade could ruin us because it can And it will if we're not diligent in trying to avoid some really bad scenarios. I talk a lot about the meat and potatoes of a trader, trying not to get in at the bottom, not to try to get out at the top, but to try to get that big chunk in the middle. When you remember that and you start to see something where a stock is dropping like 50 or 60 percent and you're tempted to buy it, ask yourself, are you trying to get the appetizers or are you trying to get the meat and potatoes? Because if you go for the appetizers, you're likely to fill up on the appetizers and and enjoy really the harvest of the meal, the filet mignon, the mashed potatoes, the loaded baked potatoes, or the, you know, the really good stuff that they bring out that you're really there for, not the appetizers, the meat and potatoes. And so ask yourself, when you see a stock drop in 60, 70%, you're thinking to yourself, man, this is a stock that I can make a lot of money on if it bounces back. Are you trying to get in at that appetizer level? Or are you trying to get in at the meat and potatoes level? Because the meat and potato levels would suggest waiting for that stock to bounce a little bit, waiting for it to base some and to start to break out. You don't have to get in right at the bottom. He talked about earnings, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time on earnings, but it's absolutely crazy from a swing trading standpoint to try to hold a stock through earnings. Yes, you can make it big. You can make a lot of money trading in earnings report, but you can also lose just as much. I remember when I was a kid, I did SMSI and ARRY one time during the day. Actually, I shouldn't say I was a kid. I was probably in my early 20s. Holy cow. I got railroaded on it. And it wasn't even a lot of money. I probably had a few hundred dollars on each one of those trades, but I got destroyed. I remember that afternoon after the earnings came out, I'm looking at both of those and they were down like 15 to 20% each. And I was losing some money. It was money that was important to me. It doesn't matter if it was, you know, 40 or $50 at that time, that was a lot of money. And I can tell you, I liked the trade. I liked the technicals. I did not know how to predict earnings. And I still don't know how to predict earnings. Nobody knows how to predict earnings. You don't know how they're going to unfold each and every time. The moment you think, oh, well, I saw Apple, I saw Google, I saw Meta, I saw Netflix, I saw Tesla, they all beat earnings. So I'm going to go ahead and get into this other tech stock. And then you see that tech stock come out and it drops 20%. But you thought, okay, there's a precedent of all these tech companies beating earnings. This one's got to do it too. And all of a sudden you're shocked. And why are we holding through earnings? It's probably because there's a story that we fell in love with. We really like the company, really like Apple. Apple's easy to understand. We use it every day. We use it with our MacBooks. We use it with our phones, the AirPods, the iPads. I use a lot of their products. But it's okay to love their products, but it's not good to fall in love with the stock itself. Yes, Apple has treated investors really good, but there's probably gonna be a time at some point in the future, maybe very long time from now, where Apple becomes more of like a GE, where there'll be something else that disrupts the marketplace, that becomes the new leader in innovation. And when that happens, you may see Apple shrink back some, but we can't be still married to the stock at that time when that happens. How about market implosion? This guy's talking about how he gets caught in these market implosion scenarios and he starts to lose a lot of money. And yes, you get an S&P 500 that pulls back five or 6%, you would think that, okay, if all the stocks pull back 5 to 6%, I'm fine. I can handle some of that stuff. I usually have about a 7 or 8% stop loss on my stocks. That's a little bit more of a stop loss than I would want to use, but I also know that I have a much tighter stop loss than what a lot of people prefer to use. I use it because I want to be able to maximize my reward even more by keeping my stop loss tighter, and, and so I'm very picky about the trades that I get into. But market implosion, you think, like I said, if the market pulls back 5%, if your stocks just pull back 5%, that's great. No, that's usually not the case because usually stocks that we're in, we're in growth plays, we're in trades that have a lot of potential for big moves to the upside for breakouts. And so when the market pulls back 5% or 6% or 7%, we might be looking more at like a pullback of 13, 14, or 15% in our trades. And so it's very easy from a 5% pullback for you to see stocks in your portfolio to pull back 15% or even just 10%. It's still significant. And so when we're in these uncertain times in the market, when the market's pulling back in a big way, I mean, you look at just SPY just right now, coming into this week, SPY pulled back from 444 all the way down to 432. That was about a 2.5% pullback. For a lot of stocks, that was probably like a 5 a to 10% pullback because there's a lot more volatility in those trades. And so when we get into uncertain times, we still have to follow our stop losses. Yes, that's probably going to mean we get stopped out of some trades. But Remember what I say, we keep the losses small so that we can let the winners run wild when things perform really well. And if we keep those losses small and we follow our stop losses, then we can avoid letting some of these 4% losses turn into like 10 or 15% losses. And during market uncertainty, when we don't really know what's going on here, how far back is the market in a pullback? Are we looking at a potential top here or something of that nature? then we need to be scaling back on how many open positions we have. We need to be looking for opportunities to take profits, to be able to scale down our exposure. It's okay to be 90% cash or even 100% cash at times when the uncertainty is extremely high. Because it's during those times, you've got to let the volatility do the work for you. When the market's selling off really hard, the volatility is ramping up. There's a lot bigger swings in the market. And so when you're seeing a lot bigger swings in the market, and then let's say you're short on the market, You don't need to be 100% short to be able to make a good profit off of the market. For much of 2022, I was short. And I made money by just being simply like 10 to 20% long at most of the time. And we have this mentality when it comes to trading that we need to make big, big bets. We need to be like Michael Burry. We all have seen the movie that he did, The Big Short. And he went huge with a lot of people's money, with a lot of his own money. He went huge shorting the mortgages, the banking industry and everything else during 2008. And he won big, but he also had huge drawdowns during that time in his account. And there was times where it looked like he was not going to make it. And while it worked out for him, it doesn't work out for everybody like that. And if you're not right, if you're not in the right place at the right time and you're forced to take those losses, and trust me, those brokerages, when you're leveraged, they are going to force you to take losses. They are not going to let you make them lose a dime of their own. But we try to be like Michael Burry and I have a lot of respect for him. I mean, he made some really good calls, but I also know too, that's not really something that all of us can do. I know that I cannot use his strategy for my own approach to the trading, the stock market. If I did, I would be an emotional basket case. I could not handle that kind of stress and that's okay, but we have to be able to manage the risk for ourselves and not try to do what you saw in a movie or what you heard of these people when they make these big bets and they get extremely rich to base our own trading decisions off of that similar kind of an approach where we're trying to just get rich off the market because usually you'll get poor really fast. And trading should be boring. Trading needs to be boring. Yes, there's times of excitement. There's times where you have increased volatility, but by and large, we should be managing our portfolio to where it stays as boring as possible because the moment you add too much excitement to it, Is probably the time where you're starting to lose control of your portfolio, your trades, and you're setting yourself up for some not so pleasant results. And that includes options trading. How many many people get into the options trading because they think they can hit it big and they keep losing money? But it's like, well, you can define the downside. It's only so much you can lose when you're dealing with premiums. Very true. But people usually trade with too much premiums and they lose way more of that premium than they would ever have imagined losing. And they do it overnight. Options will cause you to go broke. In most cases, most people are not suited to trade options. That's why they have all these disclosures when you're signing up for a brokerage account. They wanna know if you're able to trade options. Most people are not. Most people will lose their hide trading options. And if you wanna talk about a good way to lose 15 to 20% overnight, trade options. It's better to make a little bit just trading equities than to lose a lot trading options. You have to get past the mindset of I have to hit a big. And I know this is not a popular thing to be saying among most traders. They'll tell you, oh, but I, there's so much potential in options. You can make so much money. You can control so many shares. Yes, your reward is going to be drastically reduced by trading equities, but so is the risk. And if you can't control the risk and you can't control it in most cases, just buying calls and puts all the time because of that overnight risk, you're going to lose a lot of money. And one thing that's going to help is swingtradingthestockmarket.com. This is the patron website that goes along with this podcast on YouTube. You can find out more about it by just clicking join down below. This is what's going to give you all of my additional videos from market research that I provide each and every day, multiple videos on different watch lists, trade ideas, and so forth. Really good stuff. You also get updates on big tech stocks and the overall market each and every day. So I'd encourage you to check out swingtradingthestockmarket.com or just click join below if you're watching on YouTube. If you enjoyed this podcast, if you enjoyed this YouTube video, make sure to like, subscribe, give a five star review. Whatever you're watching it on, just do it on that. I really appreciate it when you guys can do that for me. And keep sending me your emails, Ryan at shareplanner.com. This guy sent me an email. I made a podcast out of it a couple days later. So really good stuff. I really appreciate hearing from you guys. Tell me your stories. Tell me your frustrations. Tell me your problems. Tell me everything. I want to hear about it. Thank you guys and God bless. Thanks for listening to my podcast, Swing Trading the Stock Market. I'd like to encourage you to join me in the Share Planner Trading Block where I navigate the stock market each day with traders from around the world.